Hello, friends. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap show, brought to you by a depressive hacker and his friends. I'm Devlin. And I'm Dave. So today we have a, a guest star coming on because Erin is mysteriously absent. I hope that she'll make an appearance sometime soon. We're all very worried for her. But Dave, maybe you can tell us what you've been up to lately. Uh, yeah, so I've we released a special episode last night, so that was pretty fun. Uh, last night being Saturday night, uh, right at the stroke of midnight, so I guess it was Sunday morning. Uh, so we have a 13th hour? <laughs> yeah. That was our, our Halloween episode? It was, uh, I had to rush home from a party and then upload it and then rush back to the party. <laughs> you, you went back to the party even. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, it was all right. I was like, I, I shouldn't have stepped into the party. Like I got there <laughs> and it was at a bar, right? So I sat down at the bar and I ordered a drink and I was like, oh shit, I gotta go. <laughs> I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> to be honest, I forgot about it until like an hour before I mentioned it to you as well. So I really shouldn't complain or anything. Yeah, thank God it was done. Yeah, I, I think that <laughs> I, I'm glad we got that done in time. So, uh, how do you feel about recording today? Uh, I feel good. Well, I feel good about recording. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, but, I mean, saying you feel good in general—that's a bit of a tall order. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I apologize to our listeners if it's not as uh, as good. <laughs> that's what I want to say. I mean, if they listen to me, I'm sure they're fine listening to you. So, um, there's a, a song that I thought was pretty rad. Maybe you want to highlight that one. Yeah, the song is called I Ain't Going Out Like That by Cypress Hill. So this episode starts um, in media res, in media ray, however that Latin phrase is pronounced, where you kind of just get right into the middle of the story without a lot of um, expository information. Although it does like kind of wrap up all the loose ends that were brought up in season two. It seems like this is kind of like the episode where they address all the storylines that they left lingering. Yeah, this is like the episode version of season two if the show was about Tyrell. <laughs> it is really great to catch up on his storyline because I feel like he's kind of just been off in his own world for the past, well, really like the whole season, actually. I was going to say a few episodes, but it's been a lot longer than that. So this episode actually takes place in that mysterious um, three-day period where Elliot had blacked out, and it starts right in the arcade where they're pulling off the 5-9 hack to begin with. Yeah, so they, uh, they pull it off. Um Elliot becomes Mr. Robot and, like, freaks out <laughs> uh, and pulls the gun on Tyrell. Yeah, he grabs it out of the popcorn maker. Yeah, and so that's whose gun is that again? Chekhov's gun? Uh, I think Chekhov's gun, man, it's, it's hard to say who it belongs to at this point <laughs> because Darlene stole it from Alexander Jones, and now it's come into the possession of Mr. Robot. But this explains where that bullet casing had come from that Dom had found at the arcade because Mr. Robot tries to fire it at Tyrell, but uh, it seems like the gun jams. Yeah, and then Tyrell gets on like a, a crazy tirade about them being gods and like this is a, this is an act of God and he like he grabs the gun and like forces it to his forehead and he's like pull the trigger. I like the idea of calling that Tyrell's tirade, but that really is some like weird spiritualist stuff that he's been up to lately, and I don't really appreciate that side of his character to be honest. But yeah, he tries to get Mr. Robot to shoot him again, and uh, luckily he does not. Yeah, and then uh, then our boy Irving shows up. 
with uh, some dark, yeah, what is it? Dark Army dudes. Some Dark Army associates. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like both of them are armed, and they notice very quickly that Tyrell is as well, so they take his gun away from him. And it seems like they, they, they knew that this was happening, and they also have a bit more insight into the situation than Tyrell and Mr. Robot do themselves, because they know that um, the fact that a Honeypot server was set up and taken down was told to the FBI by Gideon. Yeah, which also ties up that loose end of, like, why Gideon was murdered. Yeah, and I guess we've always been wondering that, because it seemed like that was just one off character, I guess, who they brought up just for that fact. Well, yeah, because we, we've talked about it on the show uh, before that, like, it was just, like, this random senseless murder, but now now we know that it wasn't senseless. Well, all murder is, but, <laughs> uh, like, there there was purpose. Except neo-Nazis. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there's one line that, that Irving says uh, that I really liked when he, when he like, shows up into the, uh, the Fun Society arcade, and it's like, you boys are seeing me, you fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're obviously not doing so well if he's involved. You know, before we get too far, though, I thought that um, this episode is full of um, Pulp Fiction references, and that's something that's been coming up a lot recently. Because if you remember, um, there was a scene where they're confronting Brett, Brent, whatever that dude's name is, in his apartment. And somebody comes out of the bathroom with a revolver and shoots a bunch of bullets at them, but every single one of them misses. And they kind of think that it's like a divine revelation or God intervening in a way. And that's kind of what Tyrell says here as well. Uh, I I always have Irving's name in my notes as the cleaner because like that's what he is. Mm-hmm. But I also we know he's a car salesman at this point, right? Yes. Yeah. So I love that too, because he uses sales tactics on everybody all the oh, time. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it seems like to work in retail is kind of like applied social engineering in a way, but it's also a good friend for him because we saw in um, the premiere for season three, that it gives him access to that database to look up vehicle identification numbers and to call on stars. So it gives him some additional powers as well. Yeah, he's like an analog hacker. <laughs> yeah, it's really perfect. And uh, I think that if Aaron were here, she would probably plug that book Ghost in the Wire by Kevin Mitnick at this point, which I'm re-listening to myself right now. It's definitely a good listen if you appreciate this kind of stuff. Yeah, I've actually, like, I didn't hear about that book until we started doing this show. Like, thanks for the, the recommendation. <laughs> you've, got a, you've got, like, a backlog of Kevin Mitnick books to go over now at this point because all of them are very good. I, I take your word for it. So Irving's here for a purpose, yeah, yeah. Like we were saying earlier, now I remember what we were talking about. He's aware of the fact that the FBI is probably one step ahead of Tyrell and uh, Mr. Robot at this point. So he's kind of trying to take some preventative measures to make sure that none of them are captured. Namely, he uh, he tells Elliot to get into Tyrell's Escalade and drive it to that parking lot that was supervised by Kareem. So we find out that that's how he ended up there. And additionally, this is kind of the beginning of this episode's entire storyline. He takes Tyrell and then go out into the woods to kind of camp out and lay low until they think that all of this is uh, done with. So the the intro is actually, uh, I, b- I believe it's an homage to The Shining and the title credits for uh, for that movie. If you've never seen it, it's uh, it's almost a full credits, like you know, written by, directed by, produced by, starring. Uh, oh, I'm talking about The Shining, by the way. Um, and it's just like this long drive to this like hotel that's in the the Rockies. Uh, it's filmed from a helicopter. It's like super long. Uh, the title credits they they go up the screen. Yeah, I, I noticed that was something that they did here that I don't think I've seen them do before. I find they have a lot of fun with their title credits in this show. They they're always like throwing it around to different things that you know we've watched in popular culture for the last few years. I really loved like the dumpster fire explosion in the last one. I'm pretty sure they did that one just so they could bust out the pyrotechnics. 
But were you thinking that um, they used a helicopter to record this scene as well? Uh, no, I I guarantee you they used a drone. Hiring someone to operate a helicopter is quite <laughs> expensive. So you need like a drone operator there. But I think that that's cool because it kind of goes to show you how like um, some production is changing in that way. Because I bet the drones are really gonna shake up the game. Well, they they probably use drones for every aerial shot now. Like they, there's just no logistical reason to use a helicopter anymore. I would get a drone myself, but the problem is that in Toronto, you can't use a drone unless you're, like, way to hell out in the middle of nowhere. Like, you can't actually use one in the city proper. So I don't know when I would get to use one. Uh, we saw that car in the title card coming up to what looks like, uh, a, I guess, what is like a dark army safe house. They reveal, actually, that they control a bunch of the surrounding property, so it's more like a safe compound where dark army seems to just have complete control over the area. And Tyrell is here, like we were saying, to kind of lay low until the fallout from 5-9 is done with. The only thing I really got from this scene was, like, don't leave the property. Yeah, Which because... I guess it's a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it is. But um, they explain that as um, Tyrell is asking for his gun, or rather, like, the gun. We were saying who really owns it at this point. But um, Irving declines to give it to him because he says that the safest thing for him to do is to stay within this one safe house because the Dark Army controls the surrounding area. I feel like I say this about every episode in the series, but this did get, kind of give me some Breaking Bad vibes again from when late in that series, Walter White goes and hangs out in the woods for a while. Uh, did you see that series too? Yeah, like I, there's definitely an influence of Breaking Bad, I think, uh, just in general with a lot of new TV because of how, like that was probably one of the biggest, sh- like when it came out, it was probably the biggest show on TV, right? It was like a complete cultural phenomenon, to be honest. I just think that everybody was talking about it. I didn't dig the fifth season, though. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole, but I feel like it disappointed me a bit. Let's start a podcast about Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. You know, I still haven't watched the last season of Better Call Saul, but I do love that show. It, I I like how it's like a lighter, funnier version, but like not actually. <laughs> like, but the, yeah, well, yeah, but I, I think it's just cool how they managed to tie in all of the characters from the main series. So we uh, we find ourselves on a private island owned by Chung, Zhang. How do you say his name? White Rose. Um, like you were saying, this is their private island. It seems like it's indicated that this is not even their only private island. So this kind of goes to show you, again, the, the scope and the scale of the power that they exert in this universe. Um, and that's something that they kind of go to show you even more as the scene progresses. Something quick I noticed um, was his aid. This is where... Uh, White Rose tells his aide to learn English. Yeah, I, I guess that kind of anchors this point in time as happening before the premiere of this season. Frank Cody rolls in. Oh, no, we we can't get to Frank Cody yet because um, the first thing we need to talk about is the fact that Elliot's in prison. We, we get a little bit of a flashback to that scene that we've already witnessed before where he's being arrested and Flipper's being taken away. And the associator's kind of filling in White Rose on the fact that Elliot's been arrested for this They've voluntarily went to prison, really, because they've pled guilty. And even though White Rose suggests that they kind of try and get an early release plan set in motion, the associate doubts that that's going to be possible because Elliot is there by his own... um, He's there intentionally. They do kind of um, clue in Leon at this point because they say that they need to connect Elliot with their operative inside, and I guess that's who he is. But that's the end of this appointment, and now the next scheduled appointment starts like you were talking about. Yeah, so this is Franco. Franco is one of my favorite characters because he is like 
absolutely just Alex Jones. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that's it. His whole purpose is to be like that fear mongering, yeah, super ultra conservative piece of shit. And this episode, or sorry, this scene is a bit of um, a, a bit of a plot twist because we find out that they are kind of um, uh, well. How would you describe it? They're just not telling the truth at all. So the first thing that uh, White Rose tells Frank. Uh, is to spin Tyrell Willick in like the most positive fashion as he anticipates the news of the Fine Dine hack being blamed on him. So this kind of goes to show you that the Dark Army's influence even extends to media and propaganda. And also, it, it goes to show you the influence of media and propaganda on the average person in their society. Yeah, he Frank says like some really racist shit when White Rose is like, uh, we want you to uh, make F society look like it's founded in Iran. And Frank is just like, yeah, they're brown enough. <laughs> I think that this is just, it's kind of like a, a direct reference to Alex Jones in that way, but they're just a lot more upfront about what's really going on there. I can definitely imagine that a conversation like this has happened in real life with people like that. So um, interesting, a little depressing. It reminded me of this one very famous um, shot from Family Guy, a show, a show that I don't watch very much often, but um I, I saw it on Facebook or something, and somebody's like holding up a color sheet next to someone's face, and it's like a spectrum from like mentally ill to, to terrorist or yeah. something. And it's just like, yeah, okay, Iran, I guess it's close enough to terrorist to, to work out here. But it made me wonder where they're going with that storyline because I don't think that they've clued in Iran to any of this plot just yet. Do you think that they're going to try and spin them as like some radical terrorist organization or something like that? I think they will spin it, but I think they're also alluding to our reality that we live in because yeah. Iran is uh, probably, other than Russia, like the biggest hot target for the United States uh, imperialist agenda, I, gotcha. I should say. You know, do you remember back when Susan Jacobs was um, being held captive by the pool and they first accused Trenton of being like an ISIS operative or something like that? I wonder if that was some foreshadowing. That was after the 5-9 hack. So maybe she oh, already yeah. thought that Iran had a lot to do with it, and then having Trenton watch over her just like kind of solidified it in her mind. That could definitely be the case. I feel like the chronology here is getting all kinds of twisted up there when I'm just out of my mind, so <laughs> I could be way wrong about that. Anything else that happened in the storyline? I guess they mentioned also that Elliot stole Flipper, and White Rose finds that a little amusing. I, I did too. Glad we got Flipper back in the last episode. Was it the last episode or first episode? First episode. Anyway, so the, the final thing that White Rose says to, to Frank Cody is that he needs to endorse Mr. Donald Trump <laughs> for president. I, I really love how they seem to be integrating Trump into the show in an actual kind of like official canonical way. Because um, I guess at this point in the storyline, it's still only 2015 or something like that. And it hasn't actually happened that he's been elected yet. Yeah, and uh, they do some fantastic video editing to just what White Rose is watching. So there is an actual Trump press conference uh, or political rally or whatever the fuck he does, but they desaturate the video a lot. Uh, so it like makes the him, color? Yeah, so it makes him look like pale and like, kind of frail. And then they just take the bass right out of his voice. They just like, they, they high cut that right out. And he just seems like feeble and weak when he says, make America great again. <laughs> Did they shrink his hands too or is that just how they look? Uh, that's just how they look. <laughs> I mean, as a guy with small hands, like I don't, I don't understand why he was so pissed off. But I guess his like, he's got to look like super masculine all the time. But like, come on, Don, you got small hands, man. <laughs> so now we cut back to Tyrell. It seems like it's the middle of the night. There are crickets cricketing, and he's uh, disturbed by a stranger who's appeared in the safe house with him. 
There's actually a quick scene where um, he comes in the living room and the two dark army dudes just like look up at him at the same time. Oh yeah, and then they both just like go back to watching TV. <laughs> I guess those are his two like handlers who are just there to keep things under control, and they're just like business as usual. Oh, I thought they were there for uh, the guy we're introduced to, Mr. Williams. What do you mean there for? Uh, like I thought they were like with him, like his envoy or something. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess that could be true. But who's Mr. Williams? Uh, he is an associate. To the Dark Army. Um, <laughs> Who is the actor? Because like um, I, what is his name? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I was trying to get you to say his name because I feel like everybody knows this actor, but I don't actually know what his name is. I just know him as that guy from The Princess Bride. Yeah, I forget his name too. He's the one who does the uh, the the poison trick, right? Yeah, yeah. He he's here to interview Tyrell and kind of um, make sure that he's loyal to the Dark Army. He uses a tactic that. Um, he also uses like a bunch of coke, like oh yeah, he's unabashedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's just like just right on his wrist, just you know, he knows what he's doing, just just going. Um, but yeah, so he starts using uh, an interview technique that puts pressure on uh, like a suspect. Like this is like cops use this to force confessions out of people, where they uh, they kind of like belligerently ask you the question repeatedly, and so he keeps asking if he killed uh, Joanna. Is it what's her last name? You mean no, Sharon. Sharon? Sharon Sharon Knowles. Knowles. Yeah, Jonah Wilkes' wife. <laughs> uh, then he asks if like he like slept with someone else with his wife. Um, but yeah, he and it gets like the cuts get very aggressive, and then he gets all sweaty. Luckily, like he does, can, like he does tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, eventually. And they also had um, like while they're doing a like, very intense interrogation, they also have the kettle whistling in the background that kind of adds some tension to the scene. Uh, I think that there were definitely some parallels between this scene and the like the Red Room interview that was given to Angela in the previous season because they kind of are drilling into a bunch of very um, abstract questions to kind of get a better idea of who Tyrell is. And if you remember, I'm getting off into into theories here, but if you remember the previous season where Angela was meeting with um, a little girl who kind of resembled her, actually I shouldn't say kind of resembled her because it turns out they used the same child actress for that, that, that character and the young Angela photo in her in her house. But one of the questions that um, the administrator to Tyrell in this scene is if he hates his dad and if he's worried about becoming his dad. So I wonder, like, did they use this character because they have a resemblance to his father? And maybe, like, that's an additional, like, level of the puzzle going on here. Wait, are you saying that, like, Mr. Williams resembles his father? Yeah, that's what okay. I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe. Do we, we never see a picture of... Tyrell's dad, do we? No, but I, I, I'm just wondering like uh, how this scene is intended to compare and contrast to the previous one because right. this is a character we haven't seen before and we find out that Tyrell doesn't really have a good relationship with his father, which is important, of course, because of that whole red wheelbarrow thing. And this is also when they say that it was Elliot's plan to use that name for their project. When Tyrell finally like confesses up to uh, everything, the last question Mr. Williams asks is like, are you loyal to me? And Tyrell is like, no. But I'm loyal to Elliot. Yeah, and he is really like dialing up the. Is it overly attached girlfriend? Is that the meme? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because yeah. because he's kind of going a little wild here. Um, he pledges his loyalty to Elliot instead of the Dark Army directly. I guess that's adequate. But he still needs them to verify that Elliot is safe and sound. And the way that they do that is by having him call into Tyrell's safe house from the prison that he's in right now. So this is that call that um, the FBI recorded and played to Darlene in the previous episode. Yeah, and this is uh, it, it's interesting because Elliot makes the phone call, but like immediately forgets who he called. So I think it's like 
he was Mr. Robot for like a split second and then flip back to Elliot because then that's, yeah, like you said, it's the, uh, the bonsoir. The other thing is. I can imagine is that maybe Dark Army, Leon specifically, just like picks up the phone and was like, here you go, Elliot, because maybe they wouldn't let him have that level of control. Yeah, because we never actually see that phone call in season two. Well, we see him like on the phone, but we don't get to see him make it. Right. So it seems like this call doesn't really go exactly how Tyrell had planned. And he just starts smashing everything around Sam. It was really a lot like that one scene we saw where um, he kind of loses it in front of Joanna, where she just kind of uh, doesn't bat an eye. She's not so perplexed by the fact that her husband has just kind of lost his mind. In this scene as well, Irving doesn't really seem too daunted by the fact that Tyrell has just smashed the phone. Yeah, I think, uh, I feel like both characters, like Joanna and uh, Irving, just like understand that he's going to freak out like this every once in a while. Uh, so Irving does a very, what I think is actually a really smart thing to do uh, is he takes him outside and tells him to chop wood. <laughs> I think that it would be so awesome just to have the opportunity to go out and chop some wood every now and then. Does it give you any memories of living back up north? Uh, it does. I remember one time I was at uh, an old mutual friend of ours in a small town called Nipissing. Uh, <laughs> is it I, actually a town? I'm not sure it's, if it's incorporated enough. Uh, it's a village, I think. I don't know. It might be a hamlet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I had to I had to chop and pile wood with that individual for like six hours straight. <laughs> it was bad. Like it, it sucked. <laughs> but it's like it's good stress release. I totally get why. Like I, you know, there's a lot of holes in the walls that. Would not exist <laughs> if I just could chop some wood. <laughs> I got yeah. I I also really like the introduction to like lumberjack Tyrell going on here. I think that um because we're also coming up on Halloween, I should mention that lumberjack is also like my go-to low-effort Halloween costume, which is just like put on some plaid flannel and a black beanie, and you're good to go. Because it's just like you got to be in your business. Speaking of Halloween, we should probably shout out to Erin's costume, even though she's not here. Yes, check out that tweet, Mister yeah. Underscore Rewatch. It's a brief kind of interstitial montage here where Tyrell is trying to catch up on his old life. He had mentioned earlier that he was trying not to have any contact with Joanna, kind of trying to make this easier for the two of them. But he's hacked into their uh, baby camera, nanny camera, and he's kind of keeping tabs on how they're going. Yeah, and so a clear shot of the screen, and he is using my favorite desktop environment, XFCE4. Yeah, I remember, and um, I think it was actually like the pilot. I kind of made a joke at the expense of GNOME and KDE users about it not being like an advanced desktop environment. But of course, XFC, the one they use here, is the one I use and you use as well, right, Dave? Yep. Which, which distribution do you use? Uh, I still use Ubuntu. You mean Zubuntu? Well, yeah, yeah, but it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, bet, I bet that's what uh, Tyrell uses here, too. But you guys should really try out Nick's OS. It's really, really game-changing. Yeah, I like the uh, the configuration you were telling me about last night. <laughs> How it's all like, is it a Turing-complete language that you write your configs in? I have no idea if it's Turing-complete, but I know that it's like a purely functional language, which is really cool. So definitely worth looking into. But, you know, one, one other thing that this scene reminded me of... Um, these like baby cameras, all these like Internet of Things devices, I feel like most of them are just completely wide open in terms of security. And this reminded me particularly of one incident where um, there was like, uh, 
a teddy bear, I guess, that had like a microphone in it. So your kid could talk to its bear and you can talk to them remotely by way of this bear's microphone and speaker. But they were storing the files on a server that was not protected. So somebody could just go and like listen to all of the recordings of your kid through the bear. Wasn't and it just like an open S3 bucket? I, I think it was like a MongoDB store because MongoDB. Okay. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember this now. Yeah, yeah. because they their default to being publicly accessible and it's kind of your responsibility to lock them down. But I just think it's ridiculous that, like, your fucking teddy bear is surveilling you at this point. <laughs> My sisters, both of them just had kids this year, so I know for a fact they're going to get into some sort of internet thing to watch their kid. Like, that's just what's going to happen. And I'm going to be like, don't do it. And then you can be like, told you so. <laughs> the uh, the ice is squeaking at us. I was wondering what the noise was. <laughs> yeah, the ice, like, sometimes the ice cubes get, like, holes, like, bubbles in them. And then, like, when they melt, they release the sound. Did you ever... Do you remember Jurassic Park when the T-Rex is coming up and the, the water starts vibrating? Yeah. Are you sure there aren't any T-Rexes around? I, I can't be certain. <laughs> this rock keeps tigers away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, so our next scene, uh, <laughs> we uh, we see Darlene and Cisco. Uh, this is where she hands him the, the femdecel. So uh, this is the flashback... Way back in time. It is nice to see Cisco again. I kind of hope that his actor will make some more sporadic appearances like this. Yeah, the um, and she's wearing she's wearing our favorite glasses. The heart glasses? Yeah. Those are, uh, Aaron was saying, I think, that those are a reference to the uh, book Lolita. Yeah, Lolita. I used, to, I used to own a first English edition of it, but I lost it in my great book loss of 20... You've read it 13. too? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah, I read it in, in high school, and at the time, I was like, this is fucking weird. <laughs> Wait. I, I still think did that. Did they give you that in high school? No, I uh, I used to work at the library, uh, and we were, like, getting rid of inventory, and it was, like, sitting in the back corner, and I was like, I'm just going to take this. <laughs> Dave and I went to high school together, actually. That's probably worth mentioning. I think that I've known you for, like, 15 years. Yeah, prob- probably about 15 years. Yeah, like a very long time. I still have a bunch of the books from when I went to high school, because... I'm sure you remember this. I kind of just decided not to go in one day, and at that point, I just kept all the books that I had with me. I still got all those. Was that the day you just, like, left? Yeah, I decided that I was too cool for school, and I was going (laughs) to code all day, and look where I am now. Well, it worked out. (laughs) Uh, Stay out of school, kids. (laughs) I'm saying that as a two-time college dropout. Yeah, so, so, so you're, you're, you're ahead of me here, actually. <laughs> I made it a little bit further <laughs> and way more debt. Right. So in this scene, um, it, like we're saying, it's a flashback, but we see that Irving is here. So this kind of reveals that he's been involved in this plot line from way earlier than we had first thought. He's actually behind the uh, backstory of Femtisel. Yeah, and he, uh, he mentions to Cisco uh, that, the, that Darlene is just a job. Which, like, that that sucks, man. Because, like, he, we can see he cares about her in this scene when he says that. So do you think that this indicates that Cisco was kind of, like, assigned to Darlene and that their entire relationship has been preconceived? Or maybe that they kind of just noticed that opportunity and they were able to leverage Cisco like that? From what I know about Dark Army, I, I absolutely it's planned. Like, White Rose does not believe in accidents, um, but he does like he does, or they do believe in um, seizing an opportunity like that. That could be it. Um, I'm going with though. It was like like Cisco was assigned to her, and then he just like caught feelings. <laughs> 
Yeah, and um, it definitely is a lot of, uh, like, there's a lot of contrast between this segment and just a moment ago, where he was asking Darlene about maybe, like, no longer being involved in all this hacking, maybe going on a, a normal couple relationship trip to Budapest. And it, we think that that would be very nice, but it's especially poignant to think about it now, knowing what happens to Cisco. It kind of turns his story into a tragedy, even though he's kind of a piece of shit for doing this in the first place. Yeah, you know, I didn't think about that. Like, I, I've always really liked Cisco as a character, but I guess that this is a bit of a heel turn for him as well. Yeah, it's kind of it's just like a character reveal. So it's like, uh, I'm not so upset he's dead. Like, I feel bad for Darlene now, you know, more than I cared about Cisco dying. So Irving has taken that femme to sell back to this uh, Dark Army safe house, and it looks like Tyrell is doing some work on it here. It wasn't really clear to me, like, exactly what work he's actually doing, though, because I think that earlier Darlene had said that the malware was already on the femme to sell. So I'm thinking, like, is this that stage two backdoor that they were talking about planting or what? But I don't think that's it because Tyrell says that there's some additional code. And I think that's what the stage two backdoor is. So I don't really know, like, what he was working on, what is what is unclear to him or really what the point of this is. Yeah, maybe he was just doing, like, a super thorough code review. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. But, like, it made me think, um, much, maybe you know this too as, like, a software developer, but he says, like, there's additional code here. What does this do? And it made me wonder, like, how often have you looked at someone else's code and just had no idea what it does? Because especially in Ruby, like, I write Ruby as my day job, so I'm not going to shit talk it that much. But it's definitely one of those languages that can just be completely inscrutable to people who didn't write the code. What I've noticed in a lot of Ruby, like a lot of the open source projects I've looked at, uh, a lot of Ruby developers are still big fans of, like, single letter variables. And, like, non-descriptive names. I love single-letter <laughs> variables. And I can uh, get into a really good argument about why they make sense, to be honest. Yeah, you write a lot of functional code, though. That's I write true. a lot of a lot of object-oriented <laughs> PHP. I guess so. That's <laughs> the difference. Yeah. I have to be as verbose as possible. So the Got next dollar fool who going sees on. it. Back to the question of looking at someone else's code and having no idea. That, that is every single day of my life. <laughs> like, there's got another wood chopping montage. It seems like Tyrell is a little bored and depressed, and this is kind of how he's passing the time. Another thing he's doing is looking at the news, and um, uh, a gossip blog has started to report that Joanna might be seeing another man. Yeah, and so, you know, he takes his frustration in on some wood. We got a scene where he uh, he's, he's looking down. Like, he's been chopping some wood for a while, uh, and Irving comes up to him and... <laughs> Pulls out a box of Swedish fish. <laughs> he's been making jokes about the Swede for a very long time now. Yeah, I, like what? He's got some serious beef against this European, guy. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a very like New York thing. Totally, but it made me think. Like, do you think they call them Swedish fish in Sweden, or do they just call them fish there? I don't know. Do they call English muffins that in England? Just muffins. But then, when you call muffins. Maybe they just don't have muffins. Probably, English yeah. listeners. They probably, <laughs> they probably have some silly English name for them, like like Mufferoos or something. <laughs> yeah, so um, he, Irving also says, you know, to remind him of the old country. So he does, you know, take another crack at Sweden with yeah. the Swedish fish to the Swedish guy. <laughs> so um, he, d he does correctly call out that Tyrell is depressed because of the fact that her... Sorry, because of the fact that Joanna is kind of moving on, uh, he has a, a Bible quote about how people in his situation aren't allowed into heaven, which kind of ties into that um, God complex thing that he's going on. And because of this, or at least like I think that this is the impetus for his decision, he decides that it's time to take off from this compound. 
So the next scene, we see uh, Tyrell sitting in front of his computer, and there's no title to the article he's reading, but it is a picture of Joanna. He gets up, and he just starts packing his shit because he's, he's on the run. Yep, takes his map, takes his phone. What kind of crap would you put in your go bag? Oh, man. Um, yeah, probably, probably my ThinkPad. Um, I don't know, maybe a sweater. <laughs> your black hoodie? I, I actually don't own a black hoodie. You're fired from the show, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm out. <laughs> so um, he, he does take off, and I was kind of thinking, like, they hinted earlier that the Dark Army has such pervasive control over the surrounding area that I thought the police officer who catches him was probably, like, Dark Army connected. Or maybe they even have, like, cameras or sensors or something that had kind of clued them into the fact that he was trying to escape. Because he tries to escape, and an officer catches him immediately. It's really, like, the first person he runs into. Yeah, well, we don't really get a sense for how long he's actually been running away for. Like, he could he could have made it a couple miles. And, you know, because he jumps out onto the street, and that's when the cop, like, pulls out, right? Like, he finds the road or whatever. Ah, uh, good point. Oh, my God. The, the cop is such a dink. <laughs> like, why? Because he's, he's just like, I can't believe it's you. I just got a promotion. He's like, <laughs> I gotta get a selfie with you before I hand you off to the FBI. I love the selfie line. Also, um, I, I don't think this is standard police operating procedure, but right when he kind of um, like confronts Tyrell the second time after he thinks that he's escaped, he fires a couple warning shots into the air, and like that's that's not something you're supposed to do, is it? I, you know what, like I. Cops tend to just do whatever they want. So. <laughs> no, I, I had thought again that this was indicating that they were probably Dark Army, but maybe they were just an asshole cop, like you were saying. <laughs> so um, speaking of asshole cops, I think that there's been a fan theory for a very, very long time about uh, Santiago, Dom's partner. And in previous episodes, I've said that the character's purpose seems to just be for stifling Dom's ideas. And it seems like that was not actually just a coincidence. It seems like that's because Santiago has been kind of playing both sides this whole time. He goes to take Tyrell from the cop, like the cop hands him over, and just like, blah, blah, gone. <laughs> just, just kills him. Yeah. This was that other Pulp Fiction reference that I was talking about earlier, because it gave me some flashbacks to when they accidentally shoot Martin in the back of the car. And you just kind of see like the quick shot to the blood in the, blood in the glass. Um, because, yeah, Santiago kind of just pulls up, takes out the sky, and he wasn't planning to do that, as he says later. But, um, yeah, it seems like he has kind of always been Dark Army. Yeah, and so uh, while this all happened, or I guess while the, the cop had Tyrell in the back, Tyrell breaks his thumb to try to, like, slip out of the, uh, the handcuffs. And, like, for... It, it was like a it, it's moot. <laughs> like yeah, the, the whole act that was so cringy, I had to look away, actually, and I think that's why I didn't have any notes about it. But I think... Um, they probably had, like, a stunt actor who was able to, like, dislocate their thumb for that. Is that what you think? Uh, or they could have used prosthetics. Like, they, they make great use of prosthetics in this show. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Like, most, like, you know, when you see someone die in this show, it looks pretty pretty real. When you you're mean they don't actually kill them? When you, yeah. No, they really <laughs> don't. Like, when you're seeing the guts, like, when they're pulling, like, the bullet out. Oh, out yeah. Of it, like, like, that's not real guts you're looking at. But, <laughs> damn, it looks good. Like, so I think they probably did the same thing for the thumb where it's kind of, like, you know... His actual hands, like, <laughs> in between his legs or something. Yeah. Like, no, that could be it. I was imagining that, like, you know how when, like, modeling agencies need, like, hand actors for ads and things like that? I thought that it might be, like, within the scope of hand acting to occasionally need to dislocate them. Oh, probably. <laughs> it's just a good thought, man. We should, uh, 
You should call David Duchovny from Zoolander. <laughs> Is that a joke that I don't get? Uh, yeah, he's a hand model in oh. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got his hand, like, encased in, like, this glass. <laughs> That's a pretty good reference, actually. Uh, I also just love David Duchovny. He's, like, one of my favorite all-time actors. <laughs> so Santiago's been working with the Dark Army for a while, and he comments on the fact that he's getting kind of tired of their approach to putting all of their communication in puzzles. I, I think I like that, because... Um, Santiago, he's always kind of been portrayed as like a by-the-books FBI kind of guy, and he's just completely out of his element in this environment. I, I think he's like not that intelligent of a person. No, not at all. But, you know, Irving does uh, have a great line here. Uh, he's just like, shit happens. Today wasn't our best day. We took care of it. And Santiago's like, we? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've had this discussion with my boss a couple times. But, uh, yeah, because Santiago, he comments on the fact that the Dark Army doesn't really seem to care about him very much, which is probably true. So he's not, he's not really wrong to have that impression. It always makes me wonder, like, if you're, if you're in a position like Santiago, what keeps you there? You know what I mean? Because, like, he's clearly not, well, I guess he, yeah, they don't really care about him, but he does do a job for them really well. So, like, what's his motive to stick around? Well, the show, like, they never really make things so clear. I think that there are always so many unanswered questions that leave you wondering, and that's one of them. Because maybe he's being paid off. Maybe they have some kind of leverage over him, like blackmail. But all we really know is that he's in it with them, and who really knows why? Santiago leaves. Uh, The next scene is Irving with Tyrell. And Irving tells him this, like, heartwarming story about (laughs) how he was a shitty husband, how his wife left him, how he lost the kids, but then how he, like made a comeback and he like was a better person now like his favorite part of the day is coming home and seeing his kids and stuff <laughs> what i loved about this scene was that um i was like oh cool we, get, we finally get some character developments out of irving who has so far kind of been a very like uh action task oriented guy not so much into the emotional side of things um and then we find out that all of it was a lie but i guess in a way that that is character development for Irving because it, it goes to show you that he's comfortable manipulating people. He's a good social engineer just like any of the hackers out there. And he's putting his kind of uh, used car salesman skills to use. Yeah, because uh, the next scene like shows him at the car lot explaining why he has like this number one dad mug <laughs> uh, and how like you know the guy, like his colleague there knows he doesn't have kids. But he's explaining how if you're the corny dad, then you know uh, you're kind of more, people are more, honest with you they're they'll buy from you better like they you kind of like make yourself seem weaker than them or mm-hmm. something like you know like weaker might not be the right word but you know what i'm trying to say where it's like yeah they'd be comfortable buying from this guy because he's just like this good guy who's a corny dad and, <laughs> uh and um it, it, this isn't really the only trick that he has up his sleeve because it seems like he has this, this sounds completely ridiculous but it seems like he has different mugs that he targets to different adversaries and right now he's using his uh dad joke mug but there's a shot of his his collection of them at home. We've got them lined up here. So the the first one we see is Cat Lover. That would be the one that would get me get me sold. <laughs> uh, what else has he got? He's got uh, be the person your dog thinks you are. Oh, so they have the cat one and the dog one. Yeah, so you're, <laughs> you would have you would definitely fall for the dog one. Yes. Well, um, my dog is kind of like a cat anyway. <laughs> uh, then there's God is my co-pilot. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised it's not like driver. Like Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> uh, another one is exercise, exercise, exercise. I can't read the. the it second just says line. bacon. Yeah, then, <laughs> yeah. Then it just yeah it comes down to bacon. So we have the mugs for the cat fans, the dog fans, the god fans, the bacon fans. That's really all your bases covered. 
Yeah, I can't read the last one either. But yeah, so he's he's all it's over like, the it's map. It's like it's like a vision test with increasingly small characters on those mugs. Plus, it's just not the you know I don't have like an HD TV. I'm sure <laughs> if this was like 4K, we could read them all perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so he he's got all these mugs because he's staying up late checking a bunch of coffee to work on his novel. And if you freeze frame on the text that he's written, it's actually super weird and super funny. Do you remember what the name of the book was? His book's called Beach Towel. What? <laughs> That's not what I thought it was. Yeah, it's called... Here, I'll... Uh... No, I believe you. <laughs> Maybe I was looking at the name of a chapter. Yeah, that's yeah. where I got confused. Yeah. Yeah. Beach towel. What's he using to edit it? Uh, it looks like pages. Huh. Which is terrible software if you've ever used it. You know, maybe this is a time when it's worth mentioning that the two of us, when we're writing notes for this show, use our text editor, Vim. And Aaron uses, like, a notebook and a pen. <laughs> She's all analog. Yeah. It's a good uh, it's a good mix. <laughs> I, I did the analog for one episode, and then I just was not nearly as organized in my book. It was like, my, my notes were so fast. Everyone was just like, T, D. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a notebook and a fountain pen once because I wanted... You know, there's this Mitch Hedberg joke where he's like, I got a $7 pen because I was tired of losing them and not caring. So <laughs> I, I, I got a fountain pen so I would actually like be compelled to use it. And I did for a while, but after it ran out of ink, I've just been like way too lazy to actually refill it. So I had to stop writing stuff down and haven't used a pen in like six months. I'm a big proponent of mechanical pencils. Those seem pretty cool. You don't need to worry about this. I've got like a whole box of them over there. I'll take one of those with me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> So we see uh, we see one of our all-time favorite characters, Leon, in jail with Irving, uh, just, you know, chatting. I'm so glad that Leon is back. I was kind of worried that his character wouldn't be making very many appearances in this season because Joey Badass just brings so much to the show. I love him. Irving asks him uh, how it went, I think, is what the phrasing is. Uh, and then Leon goes off. He says something about how he respects the sanctity of life, but when it comes to killing neo-Nazis, like, that's just fun. I, I really like how they're sort of incorporating um, contemporary events like the election, like this kind of rise of the political right. They're actually tying it into the story from the show. I think that's really cool. Irving's kind of, like, perplexed a little bit by, uh, by Leon's response. And he's like, no, like, I want an update on Elliot. Leon's like, oh, yeah, he's got his papers and, like, kind of... Just quickly gives them the update. <laughs> so I guess this kind of gives you an idea of where this is taking place in time because this is after Elliot has got the papers for his release. Yeah. But before, actually, I, I think that Leon must get released sometime soon too because he met Trenton and Mobley in that um, the post credits scene in season two. I want to know where they are. Like, I think they're in like upstate New York. The prison? No, the, um, well, oh, the prison too, but yeah. Yeah, Trenton and Mobley. I think they're like upstate New York. I think they're in like Utica or Rochester or something. Having some steamed hams. <laughs> Solid Simpsons reference. <laughs> now that Elliot's got his papers and he's ready to leave the prison, Irving reports this information to Tyrell, who is really glad to hear it. He actually seems like he's just completely like gobsmacked. Is that what the word is? He, he drops the axe that he's been chopping wood with and he's just, he's having a great day now that he knows what's going on. He's, he's very excited to see uh, see his obsession. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obsession is the right word for it at this point. So now that Elliot's out, they prepare to go back into the city. They check into a hotel that I think is another reference to The Shining. Again, this is one of those movies that I haven't seen, but I only know through references that people make. Uh, and anytime there's a hotel in a movie, I automatically think, or TV show, I automatically think The Shining. Like, <laughs> that's where The Shining takes place. It's like in a big vacant hotel. Um, the hotel is actually called uh, Fukan Hotel, and there's a frame where the 
I don't know, the person who works at the desk, that's not the concierge, is it? Secretary? Secretary, I don't know. The person who works at the front desk. Uh, if you are one of those people, please tell me what your title is. So we have several oh. friends who do that job. We should yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's our bad. Um, we're very good friends. Uh, so the Fukan Hotel uh, looks like fucking hell. Yeah, <laughs> it, the, the way that it's laid out, I think it's supposed to look like that. It's pretty great. Yeah, great framing the show. They, they <laughs> do such a good job at incorporating the scene into the scene, the scenery into the yes. scene. Yeah, exactly. So this kind of... Um, do you remember, I think, in episode eight of season one, we see that Hello, Ollie scene in the end of one episode, and then we kind of pick up from that moment at the beginning of the next episode? This is kind of similar where we're cluing back into that moment in season two where Elliot is reintroduced to Tyrell in the cab, because that meeting was orchestrated by um, Irving and his Dark Army associates, and then we get to see it from Tyrell's perspective instead of Elliot's. Yeah, and so Tyrell, um, he really makes a point of like looking good for Elliot. So yeah. he, you know, he gets in a little a little tense conversation with Irving about his suit. Uh, we see him shave off his beard. Um, he he wet shaved and I put a, a note in for that because I thought that was exactly like Tyrell. But also yeah. now that I think about it, where is he getting his freaking safety razor? Do you think that they brought that for him? Yeah, well why wouldn't they? I think they would give him like a dollar bick thing. Like let's be real here. No, I think they'd give him like a fancy razor, like they did. <laughs> okay, like, like Tyrell's all class, right? Yeah, and, I guess like, so. Dark Army's pretty classy too. Yeah, it's all like they're shy of money. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't think that they'd have a bunch of like razors to spare. But this reminded me of the fact that before I personally grew a beard, I bought um, a safety razor and basically like seventy-five years worth of like blades to put in it, and I still have those because like, what am I going to do with them now? Oh yeah, have you ever like have you ever done like a wet shave like yeah for a long time and stuff? Oh, yeah. that's so fucking good. <laughs> it is like it's just such a nice feeling on your face. I was gonna say like I also just stopped shaving, but I don't have like a beard like yours. <laughs> I was getting some American Psycho vibes from this scene again, but I think that's just what I think in every Tyrell scene. Yeah, I think characters kind of have their own uh, like cinematic motifs in the show. Yeah, um, and then so like like Darlene would probably be uh, like the the nineties Lolita. Because uh, there was two movies that came out. Oh, so wait. I can see some Lolita in Darlene, uh, American Psycho and Tyrell, and Elliot, I think, is like uh, very Fight, Fight Club. Club. Yeah. yeah. So can you think of any other characters like that? Like, wh- where does Angela come from? Oh, that's a good question. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I. She gets fancy. I don't want to say something like Wall Street, but that's not like... she. I think she's more horror film or more... Yeah. You know? Well, you know, like another influence that I think that this show has, or not not like a direct influence, but just another kind of uh, storyline that I compare it to a lot is uh, The Departed, which is a really awesome movie with um, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg. It's based in Jack Nicholson. It's basically yeah. like all like really big stars, but it's about um, a mole that the gang has planted in um, NYPD. Police, uh, no, it it's uh, the Boston. LA? Boston. Oh, yeah, I remember because yeah, they all have that Boston accent PD, now. And then, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the the cops plant a mole, and and the gang. So it's kind of like a race to see who figures out the other person's identity first. Yeah, and I kind of get that impression from all of the people who are both members of F Society and Dark Army, because I think at first, like we thought it was just um, Cisco who kind of like maintained a tenuous connection with those two groups. Mm-hmm. But then we find out that all of the characters really are a lot more invested in both of them than we had thought. So another thing Irving does in this scene is give Tyrell that gun that they've had since season one. I think Chekhov's gun, as we've come to call it. Although it's not really Chekhov's gun at this point because we find out that it has been fired. This is kind of like a, a travel back in time. Yeah, when when you guys first said that, I was like, what the fuck is Chekhov's gun? And then like I read the 
the theory behind it? Like, did you guys? I don't think you've ever explained it in the show. Oh no, I guess to, I was, to, to listeners. Do you want to explain it? Yeah. So it's basically uh, if a gun appears in the first act, it is fired in the third act. Yeah, because like, why would you have a gun if it wasn't necessary to the plot? So just having like the presence of something like that kind of implies that down the road it's going to come into play in some way. And we find out that the way it came into play is that Elliot's uh, he's been shot by Tyrell, as we saw in the finale of season two. And now he's getting some sketchy back alley surgery from the Dark Army. Yeah, I, I noted here, I thought the Dark Army dude from the elevator was the dude mopping the floor in the background. It could be. He's wearing the same like hazmat suit, isn't he? Yeah, I think that guy's like all over the place. And I think he's going to be super important eventually. We joked in a previous episode that maybe he's like the actor who's pulling the strings behind this whole plot. And that wouldn't really surprise me at this point. He seems pretty versatile. Yeah, we could also be chasing a red herring. Yeah, they like to do that. Uh, so there's a there's some important dialogue in this because like uh, Tyrell's freaking out like he he cannot stand the conditions that Elliot's getting the surgery done in, um, and he he says something to Angela about Elliot kind of acting weird or different or like a different person. Yeah, he says that he kind of become a different person sometimes. Yeah, and then Angela just confirms it for him. She's like, "Listen, he this happens. <laughs> this is what <laughs> yeah. he does." So I guess this tells you very strongly that Angela knows a bit more about Elliot's situation than she's led on before, and now Tyrell is going to include into that as well. I think Angela's always known. I think she was the first person who knew. He's such a snake. Yeah. You know, um, Irving has a quote earlier about how Santiago is a snake. Like, he uses that word specifically, and I can agree with that, but Angela is just, like, another level. She's, like, Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Why Taylor Swift? Because she's a snake. Haven't you heard of that meme? No. <laughs> Google it. Look it up on the Googs. <laughs> so there's another thing in this scene that um, I think it's a first from the show. We see Elliot starting to kind of wake up from his um, Anastasia. Yeah. I was trying to remember how to pronounce that. And Tyrell is looking at him from the foot of the bed. And there's a, like a jump scare where it switches to Mr. Robot very quickly. There's a, a loud noise, kind of catches you off guard. And then, boom, episode's over. Thank you for listening to Mr. Rewatch. We recorded this episode at their studio in Hamilton. If you like this episode, we would like you to consider donating to Doctors Without Borders. You can find them at doctorswithoutborders.org. I'm Dave. I'm Devlin. We hope that Aaron will make an appearance soon.